Hey, this is Keith. I'm the pastor of Blaze Church. Welcome to our podcast. I know today's message is going to inspire you, encourage you, and lead you to know God more. If you want to connect with us, visit us online at blazechurch.org. Enjoy today's message. All right, guys. Well, good morning. Doing good? Come on, you guys got more sleep than the 9.30. I could tell you're a rowdier bunch. This is awesome. Maybe you just got a lot more coffee in you, but uh, man, it, it really is a joy and a blessing. I missed you guys. I, I love that we have the opportunity to gather online. The occasion calls for it, but I just love being in the same room. Right? Isn't it just something special about it? Like, just I love being in the same room worshiping Jesus together. So, means so much you here this morning. If we haven't met, my name is Keith, and it's a privilege to serve on the Dream Team here. And it's a great Sunday for you to be with us because we're starting a brand new series today called Letters from Prison. Uh, something we like to do at Blaze Church is we like to look at topics in a series. So, we'll spend like four or six weeks on one topic, or we'll go through books or a book of the Bible for a season. Today, we are starting this series called Letters from Prison, and we are going to look at four letters that a man named Paul wrote while he was in prison. And these letters have been preserved for us. They are now in our Bibles, the New Testament, the second half. And uh, we're going to learn, like, what would someone say if they knew their end was drawing near? Like, kind of like their last words. So there's going to be some really great stuff for us to discover throughout this month. But before we get into it, I do have a question. Would love a show of hands. Anyone ever played the game Clue before? The board game Clue. Yeah, hands are going up. Awesome. Anyone enjoy playing the board game Clue? Because that's a different question, okay? So I used to enjoy playing the board game Clue. And I say used to because my wife, Amy, is awesome at Clue. And I am not awesome at Clue. Uh, and I would get to the end and be like, I know exactly who did it. I've got this figured out. And I would announce it like, you know, it was the butler in the kitchen with the knife. And she would just be like, no, you're wrong. Like, before I even opened the envelope, she knew that I was wrong. So we don't play that game anymore in my house because I can't win. What we do do now is we've elevated our clue game. We do escape rooms. Anyone ever done an escape room before? Yeah, escape rooms are awesome. Although the concept is interesting um, we pay strangers lots of money for them to lock us in a room for their amusement because they're definitely laughing at us on the other side of the cameras, uh, and we try to escape, but they are a whole lot of fun. And I think what makes Clue and escape rooms fun is we all like solving mysteries and problems, right? And even if your mystery is just, where are my car keys? There's something amazing, this dopamine hit that comes into our bodies when we finally find the car keys, or maybe for you it's not car keys, it's your wallet, or it's your child. So I just want to say we, we have yet to lose our children. They're seven and five, uh, so I want to preface this next story that way. We did not lose our son in an airport, okay? He lost us, okay? So the, kind of like a Home Alone thing. Um, a few years ago, and we were just reminiscing about it a couple months ago, we were, we were coming out of an airport, and I guess he just kind of got turned up for a second, and we all went right, and he went left, like literal home alone, like, there's my dad, the brown jacket, dad, wait up. Um, it was only for a split second because we had our eyes on him, and it was clearly, like, yo, Nate, this way, but he, like, he will tell you the panic that set in in that moment to feel lost. And we all know what that's like of having a big problem or a big mystery to solve in our lives. And we also hopefully know the joy that comes when you solve the mystery. 
So today, we are going to solve a mystery together. It's like a dinner party, one of those like mystery dinner party things. Uh, we're going to solve a mystery together that far too many people in life have yet to solve. And by looking at the writings that Paul has for us, we're actually going to solve a pretty big mystery. And you're going to hear a phrase throughout this series. We're going to have a lot of different uh, people preaching throughout the series, which I'm excited for. But we're all going to be saying the same thing, and you're going to say it with us after I share it with you. And here's our phrase that's going to carry us through. Paul wrote from a place for a purpose. Let's say that together. Paul wrote from a place for a purpose. Now, what unites these four weeks together and the four what are called prison letters is that they're all written from the same place. Prison. Paul, at this point, is on house arrest. And we need to talk about that for a moment, because if you're new to church, maybe you are rightfully wondering, why in the world are we reading a criminal's letters? Like, that doesn't make sense. Well, understand in the first century, there was a chant that was to be said by every citizen of the Roman Empire, and it was this. Caesar is Lord. That was the chant. Like, Caesar is Lord. It was on the money. It was all over the place. It was enforced by Roman centurions. Caesar is Lord. And this wasn't an issue until Jesus, the anointed one, or Jesus, the Christ, came, resurrected from the dead, and suddenly a group of people come to be known as the way we call Christians today, started saying, no, no, Caesar isn't Lord. Jesus is Lord. Well, the Roman Empire didn't like that very much. And it got to the point where Paul, who was this ringleader of starting churches and rallying people to say Jesus is Lord, was arrested for his faith. Now, what I appreciate about Paul is he doesn't let a little thing like prison stop him. Sure, he can't travel around now, encourage Christians and start churches, but he figures while I'm on house arrest, I will simply write letters and my buddies will deliver them to encourage Christians. And how cool is it 2,000 years later These letters have been preserved for us. Like, that's awesome. And what we're going to discover is, although the place was the same in each one of these letters, the purpose was different. Because Paul was looking to solve a specific problem that a group of Christians had, and so he wrote a specific letter to them. Now, despite a 2,000-year time gap, we are going to see that the problem that each one of these churches faced, we still face today. So we're going to start in a letter called Colossians. Before we get into it, we got to know the problem. What is the mystery that Paul is helping solve? Well, what's interesting about Colossians is it's written to a group of Christians in Colossae, and he had never actually been to this city before. This is a city Paul never traveled to. He didn't start the church there. He had never met the Christians that were there. A buddy of his, Epaphras, started it. Now, this may sound like I'm giving you a lot of smart words to show you how smart I am, but really what I'm doing is I'm helping you show your family how smart you are afterwards at lunch, okay? So keep taking notes. So Epaphras was the guy that started the church in Colossae, and Paul says, I've heard that there's some issues there. They're a young new church, and starting a new church in any culture is hard. We're only six years old as a church here on the East End, They were starting at a time in the Roman Empire where there was a whole lot of persecution. So here is the specific problem these believers were facing. It's this word, syncretism. Go ahead and say that. Syncretism. And here's what it means. Combining ideas from other philosophies and religions with Christian truth. 
So you see the word that's in the def the, the word is sync to sync up or to mix and what these new Christians were doing in this city faced with the pressure of paganism of polytheism which is the worship of many gods they had the Greek gods the Roman gods with the cultural preference of my truth your truth relativism these new believers were embracing a belief that said you know what maybe it's not just Jesus but it's Jesus and whatever we want. Maybe we can sync up. Maybe we can be tolerant and accepting of all paths and form our own truth. Well, that got a little messy. And a couple hundred years later, what started to develop in Colossae is something you might be more familiar with, which is Gnosticism. And Gnosticism emphasizes special knowledge, and it denies Christ as God and Savior. See, if you maybe today are an agnostic or you know someone who is, an agnostic is someone who simply says, you know what? There's way too much truth out there for us to actually know what truth is. There's no way that one sect of Christianity or any religion could dare claim we know the truth. It's better and more loving for us all to just say, we don't know. Maybe your way, maybe my way, maybe anyone's way. We can just accept one another. And this is what developed in the city of Colossae. And Paul hears about it, and he recognizes this is a problem if, and hear my words, this is a problem if you are a Christian. It's not a problem if you're not. And today, if you're not a Christian, maybe you're visiting Blaze Church, you're just here, and you know, you're, this isn't a problem. This actually sounds good. Like, yeah, let's accept everything. But it directly conflicts with the message of Jesus when he said, I am the way. So it was a problem for these new believers. If I could sum up all these big words this way, here's what I would say their problem was. Jesus and fill in the blank is the truth. Jesus and you get to choose. You get to fill in the blank. 2,000 years ago, Paul was helping a church navigate this problem. 2,000 years later from his writing today, this is still something that we face, isn't it? Now, before I show you the next slide, I just want you to know, I did not scour the parking lot before I wrote this sermon. Okay, everybody? So I'm not trying to offend anybody. I'm not trying to come against you if this is on your car, or if this is something, you know, that you hold to. That, look, this is, we're just here. We're talking. But this is what this looks like today. You've seen this symbol before. It's the word coexist. Right? Coexist. Just coexist. And with this symbol, we've got parts of Islam and Hinduism and Judaism in there. And there's a little part for witchcraft and gender identity and the yin-yang makes it. And Christianity takes up the end with the cross. And it looks and it feels so good, so loving, so tolerant to say, why can't we just mix it all together? In fact, here's a quote from someone I'm sure you know. One of the biggest mistakes humans make is to believe there's only one way. Actually, there are many diverse paths leading to God. Now, I'm not picking on Oprah, everybody. All right? You get a car, you get a car, you get a car. I'm not picking on her. I just think that that quote sums up culture pretty well. Just sums it up. Who knows? Come on. I mean, there, there's got to be many paths leading to God. 
So Paul is hearing that this church in Colossae has this problem, that they're trying to get started, they're trying to follow Jesus, but there's a lot of cultural pressure for them to say, no, it's not just Jesus, you can pick and choose, you can make it to the temple of Artemis at the same time as you're going to the temple of God, it's okay, let's just accept it all. And Paul says, okay, I'm going to write a letter to you, and we're going to see his solution to their problem, him solving the mystery, and how it meets us today. So here's what he says in Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this reason, what's the reason? The reason we're talking about, the, the issue they're facing, syncretism, Gnosticism. For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you, which I think is awesome. Right? Like, we, we talked about this last month. Our first value is people who are all in with Jesus is we don't worry first. What do we do? We pray first. And Paul goes, Church of Colossae, I've never visited you. But man, since I heard about you, I've been praying for you. I love you. And I'm praying. And here is his prayer. And all of you grammar police people out there, I know you're out there. You check my emails, and I get it. Pastor Keith, you didn't put a comma here. I know. I don't know how to do grammar. This is what I think is a run-on sentence, but Paul goes for it anyway. It's four verses, one sentence. Watch this. He goes, We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all the wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you may have great endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. My boy Paul, I need a drink of water. That's a prayer. That's a sentence if I ever read one. But did you notice a theme throughout it? Remember, the issue that the the Christians in Colossae are facing is that they believe there's no way to know for sure if God is the way. They're facing syncretism. They're facing mystery. They're going to be facing agnosticism very soon. And Paul, in his prayer, is repeating himself, I'm praying that you know God. I'm praying that you have knowledge of the God who made you. My prayer for you first, the first thing you have to understand is you need to know God. God, the God who came to this world in his fullness, Jesus, is not the same God as Zeus. Is not the same God as a pagan God. Is not the same God as the God you're creating. He's saying, here's my prayer for you. Now, I just want to show you something that I think is awesome. Because before I started preaching, we had this video up here, and we shared with you our vision as a church. And it's on a video we play each week. It's on a sign in the back of the room. And if you know it, you can say it with me. We exist to blaze the way for people to what? Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. I want you to realize we didn't come up with that. It's in Scripture. It's all over Scripture. We believe it's God's plan for your life, and we just read it. Let me show it to you again. Four things. Verse 9, Paul says, I pray that he will fill you with the knowledge of his will. The very first thing that Paul says you need to know is you need to know God. And I'm telling you today, if you don't know who God is and you don't know his great love for you and you don't know the saving work of Jesus, that is your starting point, to know this God. But once we know God, that's not the end. That's where we start. Then he says, you will bear fruit in every good work. In order for us to bear fruit, well, we got to find some freedom from the stuff that's destroying the fruit in our lives. 
We say it this way here. Once God gets us out of Egypt, then God wants to get the Egypt out of us. He wants to get the old patterns, the addictions, the habits, the hang-ups, all the hurts and the pains. He wants to heal those so we can start bearing fruit. He wants us to find freedom. Then he wants us to be strengthened with all power. Do you know that the Holy Spirit has gifts for you? He's got a purpose for your life. The psalmist said, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. I know your good deeds well. But too many people don't know the good deeds well, so we have to discover our purpose. And once we do that, we're going to share in the inheritance of his holy people. And God's inheritance is actually people. He says, I will give you the nations. So what do we do? We make a difference in people's lives. I, I just love that. We're not coming up with stuff. It's just in Scripture. This is God's plan. We'll say it together again. Here it is on the screen. Know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. It's, it's God's plan for you. But too many people go through life thinking life is a mystery. We have an identity crisis. I don't know who I am. We have a purpose crisis. I don't know why I exist. We have a creator crisis. I don't know if God is real. And Paul is looking at this church and he's saying, you don't have to be in crisis. You don't have to be wondering. You need to know God. Yeah. Well, which God, Paul? We got many to choose from. So he goes on. He says, the Son is the image of the invisible God. Now he's talking about Jesus. The firstborn over all creation. And what that means there is that Jesus was the first one to resurrect. What did we discover last week? There's a resurrection coming, everybody. That's the hope that we have. And Jesus was the first one to taste that resurrection. We're going to taste it someday when he returns. He says, For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities. And I want you to hear that because everything you are facing in this life that feels like it's coming against you, guess what? It's under the sovereign control of God. It's under Jesus' control. All things have been created through him and for him. Verse 17, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Can we give God some praise right there for that truth about Jesus? Like, I love this. The, the commentator that I read said, this is one of the strongest statements about the divine nature of Christ found anywhere in the Bible. One of the strongest statements. That Jesus is greater than any other religion, any other path, any other form of truth that we can try to form. Paul is saying Jesus is greater than. He's bigger than it. In fact, he created all things. He holds all things together. And here's the beauty. He is not a mystery. He walked this world. See, if we're going through life thinking, yeah, well, that's cool that God's so great and powerful. I just can't know him. That's called deism, where we think God created the universe and then took his hands off and left us to try and find him. I'm so thankful that God didn't say, go find me. God said, I'm going to come find you. God said, you're lost and I'm going to find you. You're blind and you're going to see. I'm coming to this world for you. In fact, he goes on and says in verse 19, God was pleased to have all the fullness dwell in him. That's Jesus. And through him to reconcile. Say the word reconcile. It's an important word. To reconcile to himself all things whether things on earth or things in heaven. How did he do that? How did God reconcile all things? By making peace. That's that perfect, complete, whole, shalom peace through his blood shed on the cross. See, if you've ever had dysfunction in a relationship before, you know what you are? Normal. <laughs> we all have breakdown in relationship. 
We all have moments where we fight with the people we love the most, where things just don't go in a direction that's healthy and together. But if on the other side of the dysfunction, you have then come together with that person, you've experienced reconciliation, where you've reconciled your differences and now you are united again. Well, let me explain to you, our sin has caused dysfunction between us and the Creator God because God is holy. God is just. God does not tolerate sin. Sin is missing the mark. Sin is falling short of the glorious standard of God. We've all fallen short, Romans says. However, in Jesus Christ, through His blood being shed for the forgiveness of sin, you and I have been reconciled to God. So I'm not a sinner saved by grace. I'm an adopted child of God. God looks at me and says, you are my son. He looks as the psalmist says, and I, I've separated your sin as far as the east is from the west. I don't know what you're thinking about, but I don't even remember what you're talking about. I've adopted you. You have a new identity. That's reconciliation. So now here's who I am. I am who you say I am. I'm loved. I'm not forsaken. That's all made possible through Jesus. And how did Jesus do it? Did he do it by staying distant? Did he do it by staying a mystery for us to solve? No. He came and he walked this earth. John 1 says he was made flesh and he dwelt among us. Now, if you're into math like I am, this isn't going to make sense, but this is what it is, everybody. Jesus was 100% man and 100% God. He was not 50-50. He was fully man, which meant and should mean for you today. The author of Hebrews says he knows our pains. When you go through breakdown and dysfunction, when you feel loss, when you feel pain, Scripture says our sickness and our disease was placed on him. He knows it because he was 100% man. And he is 100% God. He overcame sin, death, and the grave, every sickness, every disease, every brokenness. Jesus overcame it because he's God. And he did that by coming near, not by staying a mystery. And now Paul is about to say something that you and I have to understand today. This is the mystery solved, and it is beautiful. He says in verse 24, Now, I rejoice in what I am suffering for you. His perspective. He's telling these people that he's never met in Colossae, you know what? I actually rejoice that I'm in prison right now because it's benefiting you because I got some letter writing time. He's, I'm suffering. It's for you. I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's affliction. Meaning, I know what I'm going through, but Jesus went through way more. Like he, he was afflicted way more for the sake of his body, which is the church. He says in verse 25, I've become its servant. He says, I'm a servant in the church. Paul's saying, I'm on the dream team, everybody. Get me a here to serve t-shirt. I am a servant in this church. And here's the serving. By the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its, what's that word? Fullness. Not lacking, not mysterious, not needing any addition. Paul says, God told me to give you the full word of God. And he's about to. The mystery. Here comes our escape room. The mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations, but is now disclosed to the Lord's people. So if you're the Lord's people, you, you understand the mystery. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles, which simply means at one point, 
It was all about this, the Jewish nation, and we would get glimpses of people who are not Jewish being brought into the story, being saved. But now Paul is saying, this is not based on race. He writes, there's neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor woman. It's God. He says, look, look at this. It's all his glorious riches, which is the mystery. What's the mystery, Paul? And here it is. Don't miss this. Which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Paul says, you want to know what the mystery is that's been solved? Christ in you, the hope of glory. That line right there should cause us to be filled with so much joy and excitement, but it's not happening yet, but it will in five minutes once I unpack it. Trust me, okay? Because this is a revolutionary promise and truth in Scripture. Christ is in you the hope of glory. What has Paul been telling us up to this point? He's been telling us who Christ is. He is the fullness of God. He is deity. He is walking. He is holding all things together. He's the creator of everything. He shed his blood. He reconciled humanity. That's who Christ is. Then Paul pivots and says, by the way, all of that in you. Is your mind blowing yet? All of that, all the authority, all the power of Christ in you. Not distant from you, not a mystery to be solved. Christ in you. And that is the hope of glory. Last week we discovered that we have a hope. We don't fear the future. Christ will return and set up a beautiful kingdom. That is one day. But right now, you know what the hope of glory is? Christ in you me. Christ in you, which means I don't need to mix and match religions and ideologies just to become a coexisting person to say, well, yeah, on Sundays I practice Christianity, but then I practice my Reiki, then I got my Buddha statue, then I got all of this because I'm just trying to figure it out. I don't got to figure nothing out. The mystery has been solved, and his name is Jesus, and he is in you. He's in me. This is very different than what many people embrace and what I've embraced before, which is just a one-word change. And here it is. Christ and you. You've probably lived Christ and you before. Here's what it looks like. Well, Jesus, thank you very much for dying on the cross for me. Appreciate it. Couldn't have done that without you. Now that I'm saved, there's a whole lot of pressure and burden on me to fulfill a whole lot of doing. And I've got to work really, really hard through my own strength to overcome temptation and to live this life that feels like I'm despairing and it's just so hard and I have to live for Jesus. And it's almost like we have a tag team wrestling match with us and Jesus on the team. And Jesus was in. He did his thing. He took down the undertaker. And then he jumped out. And then he tagged me in. And I'm like, all right, I got this. He's rubbing my shoulders, Holy Spirit anointing. He's like, go get him. You can do this. Go ahead. You got it. It's all on you, man. Perform, work. And I'm struggling in the ring, hoping Jesus is going to tag my hand and somehow he'll step in. That is called religion, where we think we have to pick up the slack as if Jesus wasn't strong enough to be the author and the perfecter of our faith. But Christ in you means that as a saved, born-again, adopted child of God, I walk in the full authority of Jesus, and where I go, his power is at work in me and through me. And it doesn't depend on me. I live a surrendered life to the Holy Spirit, 
and he's at work. And life is not a mystery to be solved. I know the author of life. What a way to live. It's called freedom. It's the way you were created to live. It's your purpose to know the God who made you. But too often I've lived a life in years past where I thought it was all on me. It's not all on me. It's all on him. I'm called to surrender and to live a spirit-filled life. It's very interesting. When Jesus ascended to the Father after he resurrected, one of the last things, I'm with you always to the ends of the earth. And then he floated away. What are you talking about? You're with us always. Like, I think the disciples looked at each other like, where'd he go? He just said, I'm with you always. He's gone. In fact, in Acts, we read that some angels who were there, these messengers said, men of Galilee, why are you staring up into the clouds? He's going to return the same way he just went. But he just said, I'm with you always. And then he left. Ah, but 10 days later on the day of Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came and filled those believers in a moment. And the prophecy of Joel from hundreds of years prior that said, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh was suddenly becoming true. And now Christ in you is our truth because the presence of the Holy Spirit is at work in us. See, that's why we're giving God praise this morning because we know we don't go through life alone. We don't struggle. It's not a mystery. I walk in the power and the presence of Christ. Christ in you. I read a quote this week in preparation that just really moved me by Mark Manel. He says, when Christ looks at each of us, he does not simply say mine. He also says home. Do you know that? How will that change the way you work tomorrow? Students, how will it change the way you navigate your classes? Parents, how will it change your parenting? Spouses, your marriage. Singles, your singleness. How will it change the brokenness you're facing of the family member who's sick? How will it change the heartache and the hardship you're going through? How will it change all the negative news that cycles through on your social media and your news? How will it change it to know that Christ has looked at you and said, home, that he is not far from you, that you don't have to go through life wondering what your purpose is or wondering if there's a God, but rather God is saying, I want to make my home in you. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're working through the letter of Colossians, and I got four seconds left according to the timer, and I'm only in chapter one. So you all have homework this week. I want you to read this letter all throughout the week. Next week, Pastor Amy's going to share on Ephesians, and then we're going to get into Philemon, and then uh, Philippians. We're going to read these letters, but obviously in our time together, we're, we're just giving you the big theme of what Paul was writing, the problem he's solving. So I want you to read Colossians this week, but what Paul does throughout the rest of the letter is he says, when you know Christ is in you, your living is very different now. Just give you some things without verses. He says, you can suddenly forgive people chapter 2 verse 13 he says you can forgive and i can never forgive that person in my own strength but ah christ in me i could forgive that person he says oh your real life is hidden in christ he's talking about your purpose suddenly you have purpose because christ is in you he says in colossians 3 5 through 8 that we have victory over the passions of the flesh that i'm not a slave to sin any longer that i don't have to give into addiction and temptation no i'm victorious over that because christ is in me and i do want to read you this verse because i think it brings it all together. He says in chapter 3, verse 17, and whatever you do, okay, so marriage, singleness, parenting, teaching, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, 
You do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, and here's what you do. You give thanks. We're giving th we are people who are constantly giving thanks to God. See, there's some hard things that many of us are facing today. Some family members you're praying will be healed in Jesus' name. Some situations you're praying will be changed. Some family members that are lost, and you know in Jesus' name they will be saved. Yet we give thanks to God in it. I like what scholar N.T. Wright says. He says, thanksgiving should lead to thanksgiving. That when we make a habit of giving thanks, suddenly we live a lifestyle of giving thanks. We live like the people of Colossae did with just a 2,000-year time difference. In a culture where there is pressure to say, how could you think it's only Jesus? You're intolerant. You're narrow-minded. You're bigoted. You're hate, you're filled with hatred. And let me just say, not at all. In fact, Amy and I, we're walking our children, seven and five, through important understanding of how to love all people, however they choose to live. However, we accept all people. We tell our kids that we accept them. We got kids. Our kids have friends, different, different parents, different type of family home, all of it. We tell them very we love everybody. We accept everybody because Jesus accepted everybody. We love them. And at the same time, we understand, this is our words, you could steal them. We know God's best plan for everybody. We know God has a best plan for our lives. There's identity crisis, there's marriage crisis, there's family crisis, there's all of this crisis. Well, there's a God who's got the solution to the crisis, everybody. And so I want to give you this last verse from Colossians because I think it's important for us to carry through. As we love people, we know this in Colossians chapter 2. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition. Maybe we can substitute that for relativism, for my way, for no longer uh, a biblical tradition of marriage family values, but human tradition, what, what I have evolved to. And the elemental spiritual forces of this world, what? Rather than on Christ. Paul says to them, and I believe it's for us today, as we love, I'm so glad I don't have to love and think life is a mystery. I'm so glad that I know my purpose. I know the God who made me, and I know the God who made you, and he has a good plan for your life. And it's a call to surrender what may feel like, but this is my truth, my way, my tradition. And God's saying, but I've got a way that is filled with such less heartache, such less confusion, such less wonder. I've got such a good plan for you. Come to the God who came to us. Isn't that what we read? He reconciled us to him. It wasn't come to me. It was I came to you. And so throughout this series, we're going to discover four values that will create God-honoring cultures in our homes, our workplaces, our schools, our neighborhoods, wherever we are. And here's the first value. I want you to write it down. Love God because Jesus is enough. It's our first value. Love God because Jesus is enough. Would you say that with me? Love God because Jesus is enough. See, the first value to a God-honoring culture is to love God. And the reason why I can love God is because Jesus is enough, because he enables me to love God, because he loved me first, and my love is a response. What we're going to do now is we're actually going to sing a song that reminds us that his love never gives up, that it's his love that compels us to love him, that he is the God who has said the cross is enough. So would you bow your heads as we pray and then get ready to sing one last song. Father, we thank you for this time in your word.
we thank you that you love us so much that you did not leave us to wander and wonder through life, but rather we can know for sure the God who made us, the Christ who holds all things together. Today, Lord, I pray for those who, Lord, we're struggling. Life feels mysterious. It's almost like there's all these options before us, and Jesus is just one of many options. May we realize that Christ in us is the hope of glory. And that Christ is so much greater than anything or anyone else. He is creator. Lord, I pray now as we worship you that our hearts are filled with joy to know that your love never gives up. Your love never stops. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.